Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis XIV. And as I mentioned last week, we are taking this week off from publishing new content in celebration of Labor Day. But I definitely didn't want to leave everybody high and dry because not only do we have an episode to share, but I also have a really important announcement, which is that Pop Pantheon is doing its first live show on November 2nd in Pasadena. The show is being put on in conjunction with LAist, and the live show is going to be called Pop Pantheon Live, Britney's Memoir, Music, and Legacy. And we are going to be talking about Britney, about her memoir, The Woman in Me, which will be dropping about a week before the show, and about how her public narrative has impacted her musical legacy, and also just about her musical legacy in general. So Britney is someone I've really wanted to address on the show for a long time. We will, of course, eventually be doing episodes on Britney, but with the memoir coming out, I just felt like it was a really important time to take a look at... Britney standing in the pop universe and where everything that's gone down in her personal life has affected how we think about her incredibly definitive and innovative role as probably the signature pop star of her generation. I want to put some of the focus back on her music, back on her pop career. And obviously, I want to talk about whatever revelations come out in the memoir, because I'm sure it's going to be extremely interesting. And I'm inviting a series of guests to do this with me, including the dean of USC Thornton School of Music, Jason King. We know him. We love him. He's been on our Madonna episode, our Disco episode, our Little Richard episode. Obviously, one of the greatest minds on pop music in the world today, in my opinion. So I'm so excited that we have Jason on the show. And we're also going to have Beyond the Blinds host, Troy McKeady, who's been on our TRL episode, and he was on our VMAs episode. And also, he was on the episode that is getting published today, which was a Patreon episode on Blackout. Troy is such a funny, smart, insightful Britney fan. Someone who loves her and has a deep abiding passion for her, but also is able to think critically about her, which is a rare combination in the Britney fandom. And last up, we will have Kirby Johnson, who is an incredible podcaster and journalist. She co-hosts the podcast Gloss Angeles, and she often tackles the intersection of beauty and pop culture. And she's a huge, lifelong Britney super fan, who I'm sure is going to have so many incredible insights to bring to this conversation. So I'm so excited to talk to all of these people about Britney, about the memoir, and about her music. And it's going to be such a fun conversation. So again, this will be going down Thursday, November 2nd from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. Tickets will be a suggested 15 bucks, but it will be kind of pay what you can, essentially. And the link to buy them will be in the show notes of this episode or on social media. I'm going to post them on my personal social media, DJLOUAEXAV, or at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram, so you can cop them in either place. And actually, that's not all, because after the panel, in the parking lot, we're going to be doing a special edition of Gorgeous Gorgeous, a Britney edition of Gorgeous Gorgeous. So for a couple hours after the show, I'm going to DJ, we're going to be playing Britney songs, there will be drinks, and we can have a little dance party outside of the theater. So that's going to be so fun. It's going to be both a really fun panel discussion about Britney with so many fabulous guests and about the memoir, and then we're going to have a little Gorgeous Gorgeous Britney edition outside in the parking lot after. So if you're in the LA area and you are interested in this show and in Britney, I think this is going to be a great opportunity. It's going 
going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait. I mean, I've been waiting to do a live show for so long, and I think that this is the perfect opportunity to do so. I'm so excited to talk about all of this stuff. And I hope to see you guys at Pop Pantheon Live, Britney's memoir, music, and legacy. So there you go, our live show. Yay, November 2nd. Speaking of Gorgeous Gorgeous, we are also having our next New York City installment on September 16th at the Sultan Room in Brooklyn and our next LA installment on September 29th at Resident in the Arts District. So I hope to see some of you guys at both of the upcoming Gorgeous Gorgeouses in the next couple of weeks. Tickets for those will also be available in the show notes of this episode. So in honor of announcing our Britney live show, anyone who's a patron will know that we did a much beloved Patreon deep dive into Britney Spears' Blackout. This is her fifth studio album, which came out in 2007, way back in December 2022 with Troy McKeady. So I thought in honor of that and in honor of our little vacation this week, I would publish this here on the main feed for anyone that hadn't heard it yet or for people that want to re-listen to it if you are a patron. Of course, if you enjoy this episode and you want to hear more episodes like it, because this is what we're doing on Patreon, we're doing all kinds of album deep dives, new and old. That's a big part of what happens in our bonus content of at least three bonus episodes of the show per month. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash poppantheon or click the link in the show notes of this episode to become an icon tier subscriber and get all of our bonus content, access to our Discord, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope you guys have a fabulous Labor Day. I hope to see you at Pop Pantheon Live. And here is our Patreon episode from December 2022 about Blackout with Troy McKee. Okay, so I am here with the wonderful, amazing, genius, charming Troy McKee. Troy, welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to our Patreon show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, there's no one else I could turn to for this particular topic. Really, there was only one option, and that option was you. I would have been offended, honestly. Yeah, and you should have been. No, you should have been. I I would have accepted you smacking me across the face and saying, how dare you, had I done this without you. You could have done it well either way, but I'm very honored to be here for this. No, I mean, I'm glad to have an expert because we're going to do basically a deep dive into an album that I know is important to you, an album that's mm -hmm. really important to me, an album that I think is a big deal for a lot of people listening, yeah. which is Britney's Blackout. It's a fascinating document of a particular moment in Britney's career, a particular moment in pop. I think an album that's interesting to explore both as a piece of music, as a reflection of Britney, but also as something that is kind of shifted in stature over time. I mean, it's an interesting reflection on the way that we have changed our views on pop music, I think, in some ways, because it's a record that is like a pre-poptimism album, maybe, that has since, I think, grown to become one of the more like revered pop releases of all time or mainstream pop releases of all time, yeah. massive influence, and kind of looms really large in the landscape of both the Britney world and the pop world. So I'm excited to talk about it. And just as I mentioned earlier, I think I said this to you when we were first talking about this, I'm not sure there's a single album on this great green earth of ours that I have listened to more times than this album. Maybe, possibly. I mean, it's the most listenable album. Like there is yeah. no easier album to listen to especially because i feel like if it kind of fits so many moods mm -hmm. it somehow is like a, a having sex sweaty on the dance floor album <laughs> while also being like kind of like an apartment album like cleaning your house uh -huh. album like it has all these different vibes but yeah you're right i think it has this interesting legacy and it now is like like you said revered is like this great album this great like pop masterpiece but it's crazy to look at what was going on in her life during the time that it was released and the way people viewed it 
And, you know, the way that the world sort of turned their nose up at it. And also just where it fits into Britney's pop catalog is, like, very interesting because all of her albums are, like, kind of weird in their own way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. the lore behind this one is just, like, wild. This is the weirdest one, though, I think. And (laughs) it's interesting because as you were getting at it, it was, like, at the time, it was her least commercially successful to that point. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as you were insinuating, her life was in a dark place at the time that it came out and she was seen in this very specific way and i'm actually about to ask you to detail that a little bit for us but it has i think been widely agreed upon and i certainly feel this way to be the crown jewel of her discography and Mm -hmm. i'm fascinated that those two things occurred in tandem that britney at her most unbridled quote unquote and that has a lot of intrinsic meaning now that we know what's been going on in her life since this period but mm-hmm. Brittany unrestrained and also under the least amount of control from the forces that have been in her career ended up producing the most fascinating and I think like long lasting impactful record of her life which flows hardcore against the narrative of her as a cipher which is one of the reasons that i think this record is so fascinating to me is that for every narrative that has formed around britney as like the ultimate pop star cipher right like somebody that needed to be created that was mm. only as good as her collaborators and anr people could make her the record that seems from my end and maybe you know more than me that she kind of had the least amount of people like with their hands in the pot overseeing mm-hmm. her she was uncontrollable at this particular moment ended up with her most fascinating and dynamic and emotionally complex interestingly i think piece of work you listen the debate of which britney album is the best will go on i mean it's something mm-hmm. that we will be the gays will be debating until the truly the end of time like we'll mm-hmm. all have our last breath will be like mm-hmm. either blackout mm-hmm. or in the zone and, yeah you know whatever we'll circle back to that at the end so don't, <laughs> okay. i, I want to know where it sits in your ranking at the okay. end but <laughs> yeah. well yeah, yeah I, I agree with you and i think that one of the things that makes the album so special is the fact that it it had everything working against it yeah you know and the fact that it is like this like gym this like diamond that came out of all of this like trauma uh-huh. and this like wild time it almost doesn't make sense that this album is so polished and so great but then mm-hmm. the thing about it that is so good is that it does perfectly match with that time period exactly exactly this is important. like if this was a really polished like pop album a really like bright yeah like britney yeah. like a bright yeah. happy pop album it wouldn't make any sense but it's the fact that it is so seedy and dark and it does take you back to this dark mindset that she was Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. i think that adds to like the lore i agree i think that's really key to understanding the magic of this record is it's perhaps the most honest reflection of the complexity and dynamism of Britney's like interior life of any of her records, like way more so than I think when she has overtly gestured towards those things by making like emotional ballads. I mean, not that I don't love every time, but like, you know, there's kind of the more like cliche gestures that pop stars make when they, you know, and Britney's been in this a lot where it's like, this is my most personal album yet. But as you said, the seediness, the ice, the combativeness of it, the pushing back on the celebrity narrative, 
the voracious sexuality of the entire thing in almost mm. like an overpowering, almost mildly terrifying way. Like, you know, sometimes I think of Give Me More in that context. Like part of Give Me More's dark, demonic energy is that yeah. it is about, oh, you've sort of like turned me into this child whore in your imagination. Yeah. Well, like here it is, baby. Like I'm a bottomless pit. It's like a commentary yes. on that in some ways. And like, how scary is that to look into the pits of that or like what you think you've sort of formed me as in your head. This record to me is weirdly, even though it's like this icy dance pop album, feels like her most honest piece of work ever in a way that I think is why it is continually fascinating beyond just being like a uniformly strong set of electropop songs. I'm so happy that you brought up the sexuality of the album because yeah. it's overt. It's a different kind of sexuality than Britney had ever explored. It drops the coquettish thing of her earlier work and goes way yes. more for something truly almost scary. <laughs> yeah. It's a real like Brigitte Nielsen style of being sexual. It's very aggressive. <laughs> uh -huh. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. it's Totally. It's like it's Grace Jones sexy. It's intense mm -hmm. and it's combative. And like you said, it's a reflection of this sort of built up coquettish ishy isn't she thing. And this album is like, no, babe, I am. I'm fucking yeah. like uh -huh. hard mm -hmm. in public. Mm -hmm. Many people. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and we're not 100%. sober. Like, it's a reflection of all of those years of having all of these people sort of toying with her sexuality. And now it yeah. just feels really yeah. over and in your face. And it's like kind of made to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. In the same way that in public, she had ripped the veneer off of the pop princess in mm -hmm. her sort of what was then thought of as her meltdown or, but I don't know how to frame what to call it now. This record yeah. rips that veneer off musically in the sense of yes. like taking the implicit seediness of watching a 16 year old Britney like wink and nod with her shirt tied up and being mm. like, nah, -uh. like we're taking out all of the subtext and making it text here in this way that is completely fascinating. I know it's Not to mention the sort of forward-thinking nature and incredibly influential sonic universe that this record creates. And I had a fascinating conversation when we recorded our Justin Timberlake episode because at the time, this was just after Future Sex Love Sound. These records share a lot of sonic identity together. They share mm -hmm. Danger, the producer in common. They share the sort of transition that pop music was in more broadly from hip-hop and B aesthetics of Jennifer Lopez and Ashanti, etc. into the sort of icy dance pop of the 2010s, Gaga, Rihanna, the whole mm -hmm. EDM movement. This record is the linchpin. This, Future Sex Love Sounds, Loose by Nelly Furtado, you know, they're all like, yeah. swimming in this pool. But of all of those records, even though Future Sex Love Sound felt like the juggernaut of that time and Blackout felt more like a cult classic, I think Blackout has stood out in terms of its influence and the way that it actually like helped turn the screw on that sonic transition is now held up in higher esteem, even than a Future Sex Love Sound is at this time, even though at the time that record seemed like a much bigger deal. Yeah, but I 1000% agree with you. Yeah. I, I would never even really think to compare those albums, but it's so true. Like, yeah. There is no better comparison. And mm -hmm. I think where Justin has his own sort of, you know, he was working against being a former boy band member. And now that's become the blue 
blueprint of how you leave a boy band. Every boy band member wants their Justin Timberlake mo- moment, you know, mm-hmm. where like they cross over and basically black people take them seriously. That's like <laughs> what they all dream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's such a good comparison. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting when you look at the music that did come after this time. This album felt more rebellious, I think, than yeah. Future Sex Love Sounds. Oh, this for one sure. That's true. was very head tilty. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the first time hearing some of these songs and they were like demos when they had leaked. Yeah. And I was like, this is like really weird. Like, this, al- yeah. this album is wild. Like, I like it, but this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's experimental in a way that feels yeah. like it didn't mind that you wouldn't maybe understand it for a little while. A hundred percent. I mean, everything from its deployment of dubstep before that was a commonly used pop parlance on Freak Show. 10 p.m. to 4, and I came to hit the floor. What you knew before, but if you don't, then now you know. Yo, tonight I'm about to mash, make them other chicks so mad. I'm about to shake my ass, snatch that boy. To this sort of moaning, groaning, disembodied male voice that is the chorus of Get Naked, I Got a Plan. To give me more or a piece of me, the sort of slurred, oh, yeah. full robotization. I mean, that's another aspect of this record that I absolutely worship, which is like, again, Britney being like, oh, you think I'm a cypher? You think I'm a robot? I'm going to be a fucking robot, too. Literally. I mean, like the way that she allowed these incredibly inventive producers, Danger and Bloodshy and Avant primarily, but other people, too, to essentially turn her into these pop music production machine using her voice in all of these bizarre, incredibly interesting ways is another way that this record is like a middle finger to everybody that criticized and judged her by fully yeah. like leaning into that. Misses you want a piece of me trying and pissing me off. We'll get in line with the paparazzi who's flipping me off. Hoping I'll resolve you some havoc and up settling in court. Now, are you sure you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Creating such a more fascinating album by leaning into that roboticness than like she would have if she had made some sort of tender ballad album at this moment or something that we would have seen as more raucously credible. You know what I mean? Like she really gave the finger in that way. So can you just give us a little very brief overview of like where Britney is leading into this album before give me more drops, like what's going on in Britney's life? And her public narrative. Okay, so ironically, Britney was, and I I love to bring this up when you talk about Blackout, because I think that they go in tandem. Britney was working on this album called Original Doll. Right. And it was supposed to be this, like, really, if you've heard any of the Original Doll demos, they're all, like, vulnerable, raw, Mm. fuck yous to Justin and Mm. the industry and the world and media and the non-acceptance of gay people. And she had all this Mm -hmm. stuff that she wanted to say. So she was very much in that mindset. I have a bunch of things that I want to say about politics and the queer community (laughs) and women and 
And that didn't work out the way that people thought it would, you know, but she was still very like angry and she had this marriage that didn't work out the way she thought her kids mm-hmm. were being used against her as a tool. You know, she had the whole world coming down on her in this really intense way. She was mm-hmm. in a real pressure cooker situation. Yeah. And recording this album was kind of the outlet. And I remember hearing Bloodshine Avant talk about a lot of the songs that they would record were based on the, the weird experience of like watching her try and come in to the studio mm. like when they recorded piece of me the chaos of her going from the car to the door was mm. so wild and so different than what they had experienced with her before that they were like this all needs to go into your album like yeah. you may not be allowed to make that original doll album but we can at least do something interesting where you still have stuff to say you don't get a more fascinating pop star commenting on their public narrative song than piece of me like no that is like both just an incredible song on its own just like a very strange like wonky weird synthesizers and whatever but like the way that that song starts that iconic i miss american dream since i was 17 i just remember feeling in the midst of a time period where she was being pegged as a mess and as this person that was falling to pieces and who had previously been seen as this empty person who had no point of view and mm-hmm. had no perspective and was just a puppet to kind of come back and like sneer at everyone and to comment so perceptively at her public narrative and to be like, no, I'm aware that you all think of this about yeah. me. And I almost feel like that song is begging the question, like, do you want to kill me? Like, what yeah. could I do to please you? I've spent my entire career just trying to entertain you, to do something that brings you joy in your life. And like, all you want to do is take a pound of flesh. Do you want a piece yeah. of me? I think one of her absolute greatest that she ever came up with. Yeah, I agree. I, I also always say that this album is like very punk. This yes. is a very like, it's a punk rock pop album. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that with like no sarcasm. Yeah. Like it is the most punk rock I feel like I've ever seen a pop star be forced to be publicly. Yeah. Because it's yeah. truly defiant. It actually is. Mm-hmm going against some sort of system in like the most intense way this is a woman who's like a multi-million dollar industry and yeah. she's basically giving a middle finger to this thing that has been built around her and like you said i mean the opening of it her saying like i miss american dreams since i was 17 mm-hmm. that line when you've lived this whole moment with her and you grew up with her and you were part of the whole journey to mm-hmm. hear her even open a song like that at that time was wild i agree it was so defiant it was so wild it was such a middle finger and a mm-hmm. tongue wag you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah it was so crazy i miss american dreams since i was 17 don't matter if i step on the scene or sneak away to the philippines they still gonna put pictures of my derriere in the magazine 
And funny. I mean, there's so many, you know, <laughs> yeah. Miss is most likely to get on MTV for slipping on the street while getting the groceries. Like, there's a lot of, no, for real, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. It's also, like, very tongue-in-cheek and funny. And, like, yes. I remember it feeling nice in that song to feel like she was in on the joke a little bit and to feel like she got it. There was something refreshing and relaxing to me listening to that and knowing, because at that point, the main way that you experienced her was on mm -hmm. Perez Hilton and mm -hmm. I, in this narrative of like, oh, Britney's having a meltdown and you know, yada, yada, yada. And I think everyone also thought this album was gonna be a fucking disaster. I mean, I remember yeah. that being the kind of feeling in the air of like, oh my God, Britney doesn't have the team squad together to like produce her like bobble perfect pop bobble that mm -hmm. we had come to know her for at that time and the truth of the matter is this probably is so not the record that they would have come up with in that context like it, that would have been circus which is like a way totally. less interesting album to me like yeah. you know i always think of them as two sister albums in a way except one sister is like way less cool and pretty than the other right. because <laughs> <laughs> or maybe one is the homecoming queen and one's kind of like the dirty punk, but I'm way more interested in the dirty punk than I am in the homecoming queen. Cause like, yes. And the homecoming queen's a little bit more boring, boring, so boring. And like yeah. attempting to fit her into all of these guises that are supposed to be what a pop star is doing. Like you've got the ballad, you've got the up tempo, you've got like Dr. Yeah. Luke, you know, you've got like all the yes. ingredients there that like the perfect little pop princess would have going on in her album in 2010. But like, this record, I'm so fascinated by the ways that Britney on her own actually wanted to make this like dark European electro pop nodding. Like it reminds me more than anything, honestly, of Robin's self-titled. You know, Robin sings on Piece of Me. Obviously her voice is used on the hook. I've always been so intrigued that like Britney left to her own devices. This is the kind of album she wants to make. Something a little bit disturbing, something a mm -hmm. little bit scary, something that I've sometimes classified as a Halloween album. It did come out it's in key. October, right? Like you, you listen key. to a song like Get Naked and that is like a haunted house to me, right? Like mm -hmm. there's something terrifying about the tone and texture of that song. She has a subcategory of spooky music. This album has the most consecutively spooky songs. Get Naked is super, super spooky. Freak Show, I'm sorry, is spooky. spooktacular. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a spooktacular event. Give Me More, Spook the House. Spooky. That's a Halloween song. I Come mean, on. That is literally a haunted house sex song. Yeah. But I, I think the Robin comparison <laughs> is so great because, like, the interesting thing about her is that she's always been this Southern Euro pop star. She's right. a, an American Southern <laughs> belle right. slash Euro trash pop star, which is like right. crazy. Right. And this was the most Euro pop she's ever been. It was almost Truly. like, let's just not even pretend that I'm from Louisiana. Fuck the Bayou. Let's go full Europe. Or is like a song like Get Naked finding the middle ground between electro, yeah. like sleazy electro pop and Southern Gothic horror or something like that. Yes. Like, it's Britney does True Blood. Literally. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're right. It's true. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I think that that's such a good point. Like, it's such a strange thing to think about, like, this trailer trashy girl from the South who also weirdly, like, is the ultimate weapon pop voice for a Europop song. Like, her yeah. iciness, her roboticness, her ability to, like, become part of the machine of an electropop song is, like, one of her greatest gifts to the pop music landscape. She shares that in common with many great pop stars that came before her, most yeah. notably, like, Kylie Minogue and, you know, Janet to some degree, obviously. Like, I've always thought this is like so tangential, but one of my favorite little like blackout hobby horses is that feedback was Janet doing blackout, <laughs> which is Britney doing like some version of Janet. Like there's like yeah. some sort of like complete yeah, it's always... on there. Do you like my It's really unsettling on all of these levels, which I think is like part of why I continue to be fascinated with it all of these years on and continue to wonder like what was going on in the studio? Like what was her role? Like, do you have a sense of that? She had this primary group of collaborators. There was Danger, who was famously Timberland's protege during both Future Sex Love Sounds and Loose and later on Madonna's Hard Candy. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of there with his crew of people that included Carrie Hilson, who wrote Gimme more and a series of other songs and then there was this other team blood giant avant who are these swedes you know the capital of yeah. pop music in the world and who had worked on toxic and were the other main collaborators here do you have a sense of kind of like what her role was in creating these songs so britney was super involved in the creation of this album but she very famously will give up writing credit to people right and right. i think that that was just something that was so beat into her uh -huh. that like no you don't take credit for these things like we have a whole team here that's here to even though you're in the studio coming up with runs and coming up with lyrics and helping produce like that's you know what i mean yeah. so i've heard carrie hilson say like she was extremely involved and she was there all the time helping them write lyrics and come up with beats and i remember her and carrie hilson had gotten into some trouble because they were up really late one night like going through songs on myspace and like mm. getting beats from MySpace. And that was how they found the beat for one of my favorite songs, Out of This World, a bonus track. Mm. This guy was like, that's my song. That was on my MySpace account. And Britney was like, sorry. That was like, you know, it was when you could just do shit like that. Right, right, um, right, right. Yeah, I think that she was extremely involved, but she's never really been given that official credit because it's Britney. And she's always so happy to give that to other people. It's gotta be that she was because it's by far her most unified aesthetic record. I mean, this yeah. album plays like an album in a way that maybe Femme Fatale also does this pretty well. But for the most part, definitely on the records before it, you know, there's a lot of variety on them. I mean, I guess In The Zone was pointing in this direction, but also mm -hmm. felt like it still had songs on there that felt maybe workshopped by an A&R team or whatever, like to provide right. enough variety. This record is meant to be consumed as a set of 10 songs or 11 songs that you listen to like mm -hmm. as one unified aesthetic idea and even though there's different producers working on it we named Blood Giant Avant we named Danger there's Fresha, Fresha, whatever the name, they were like a dance pop duo that produced Heaven on Earth, which is like kind of a Kylie slammer that happens in the middle of the album. <laughs> Goosebumps. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple other people. Pharrell shows up at the end of the record to produce kind of the bound two of Blackout, which is why Shut Up is Dad. But it all really works as one sonic universe, one aesthetic idea. So, like, mm -hmm. who was guiding that if not her? You know what I mean? Like, somebody was right, totally. generating that. And I've always felt like that had to have been her. This sort of dark, seductive 
sleazy, garish electro pop universe. Like somebody yeah. was seeing that as a complete idea because it's not like there was one producer that guided that entire record. You know what I mean? That had to have been her. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know for sure that it's funny because you and I are talking about how dark this is and how tongue in cheek the whole thing is and, and like very punk. And it's funny because this was like her compromise. Like she wanted mm. to go so much darker. Mm. And have you ever listened to any of the songs from Original Doll? No. When you hear the shit that she's talking about, it yeah. sounds like Gaga's Born This Way album. Wow. That's the vibe. Wow. So it's interesting to think this was her compromising on how dark she even wanted to get. And this mm. stuff is still very dark. I think maybe that's to her benefit because it never gets into maudlinness or like overwroughtness. Like it yes. never loses its sense of fun, which is yeah. like what allows it to function. Like I actually think think that that's to the record's benefit it's mildly disturbing but yet yeah. so seductive and fun at the same time which is a very difficult thing to pull <laughs> yeah. off i actually think now that i think about it like some of the sort of like dark sleaze and the lore of this record feels renaissancean to me like there's elements of renaissance's music mm. alien superstar comes to mind like there's a few yeah. of there's records in there where that have that same very potent mix of the decadent sleaze of nightlife of being out of drugs i mean beyonce's invocations of drugs on that record doesn't go missing on me like it's yeah. that is kind of when dance music transcends into something truly dynamic and fascinating is like when it can hit those two elements because that is what going out is like it's like both this euphoria this sort of freedom and there's also this like darkness this underbelly you're in a dark space drugs yeah like shit is happening you know what i mean and like this record captures that feeling to me both the fun and elation and euphoria of the whole thing and also kind of like the like oh my god i'm gonna wake up and i'm gonna be like what the fuck did i do <laughs> yeah as britney famously did touch on on circus and one of the more yeah on that record blur produced by danger so interesting <laughs> <laughs> parallel to that i think but i do think that that dynamism those two things like if this record had just been like full-on overwroughtness i think that that wouldn't right. have necessarily been to britney's benefit like the disturbing nature of it is under the surface that's what makes it compelling i think is that she's not being like look at me and my problems like here's me singing about you know everything that's fucked up in my life it's right. textual yes and fun and then, like you said earlier still manages to be funny like there are certain lyrics on this album that only britney can pull off case in point pull up to my bumper need a jump not a chump fill me up i'm running low <laughs> <laughs> I believe that Britney made this album in a time in her life that she could have only made it. Like, this is an album that, like, a mom made, like, a grown woman. This is a mm -hmm. woman who's, like, had a child and been in a really intense relationship. This is a woman who's lived, and it feels like an album like that. I believe I'd said earlier that it is, like, a legacy album, but not. Like, it's not, like, a reflecting on your career album, but it's definitely an album that you have to have been in this industry for a little while to make. It's funny. I'm interested in that because this is the I'm a fully not a girl and I am a woman album mm -hmm. because it's so funny how she had made these kind of calculated attempts 
mindset growing up like that had always been the story of like the first four albums to me was like every record starting with oops i did it again i'm not that innocent Mm -hmm. i'm a slave for you i'm overprotected you know Mm -hmm. in the zone's entire conceit being like i have sex now she wasn't able to fully shake that image until she a went through what she went through in the public eye that led up to this record and made this album this was the album that i think people fully accepted her finally as an adult pop star which is so interesting actually now that i'm saying it because britney's had a very long run for a pop star we talk about this on the show all the time but like very few pop stars are churning out relevant hit music into their 14th and 15th year you know if we think of britney's last true like hit hit song as work bitch in 2012 Mm -hmm. like i guess hold me closer maybe qualifies as a hit so maybe her latest hit is recently but let's just say like of her first kind of run like britney really had a long run of relevant hit music and i think part of the problem is a lot of stars especially when they emerge to us as teenagers this is the story that always happens like they don't know or they're unable to get the public to see them as grown-ups right and so by the time they're in their mid-20s if they haven't effectively altered that how they're viewed in that way Mm -hmm. the public moves on from them they're not interested anymore so weirdly now that i'm talking about it britney's whole public unraveling even though it was seen as this whole negative shitstorm at the time i think actually allowed the public to see her differently it radically altered the way the public viewed her from the pop princess era Mm. And allowed people to accept her as an adult pop star that, like, could move into another era of her career. And I never really had thought about it that way until you just brought that up. Like, it felt like this horrible thing that was happening at the time where, like, oh, this perfect Disney pristine princess, perfect little bobble had lost the luster. She shaved her head. She Mm -hmm. was out acting a fool as far as everybody knew. But I actually weirdly think it's part of what allowed her to have another epic of her career yeah that christina didn't get to have not lots of people did not really figure this out properly in the same way like britney forced us to see her as a (laughs) grown-up through her trials and tribulations and i think that that has a lot to do with what you said earlier about the album sort of inching towards this i'm an adult i'm kind of an adult i'm teenager i'm like i've had sex or whatever yeah i call it the madonna trap of when Female pop stars fall into this trap of, like, feeling that they need to reinvent themselves and reintroduce us to this version of them that's, like, not too far from the original version, but different. Think, like, Taylor Swift had said in her Miss Americana documentary, Mm. more sexy, but not too sexy, and not too far from, like, how we know you to be sexy, but a new version. Like, it's very difficult, and it's very unfair. Yeah, to, you know, 100%. it's totally. I, I, and I, I really hope that we are in a place now where we're kind of veering away from that. It feels like we are. But like, this was yeah. a very eras heavy, intense time for pop stars. And I think the thing that makes Britney unique in that sense is that her albums, each one of them was more of a like revealing of who I am more so than like, yeah, now I'm a vaudeville girl. Now I'm a flapper. Yeah. Now I'm a geisha. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's never that. Well, I, I think what's different now and what Britney and her generation and many pop stars before her, starting with like Michael Jackson or mm-hmm. Debbie Gibson or whoever you want to talk about. Right. Or even Demi and Selena. There was this feeling that we had to present teen pop stars as this really, even though Britney had a lot of sexuality going on 
you know, beneath the surface that we have to present them in this really specific box that's mm-hmm. really controlled and like safe for Christian parents and all of these kind of things. Right. And so it really created this trap for them because that would make them acceptable and therefore commercially viable as teenagers that where people needed their parents to buy them the album. Right. But once they got beyond that, they all had to struggle to be like, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. I'm a real person with like grown up stuff going on in my life and Mm -hmm. I'm a dynamic sexual being and all of these things. I do think in the Billy Olivia generation, we have dispensed with that a little bit. Like Olivia and Billie Eilish are allowed to be 16 and complicated and sexual in their own organic ways that a 16 year old should be. And it's the first generation of mainstream pop stars that are teens where like we've realized that it's actually better to just let them be normal people. And as a result, I think Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo are going to have a much easier time turning the screw into adult pop stardom because they haven't been presented to us as this sort of like fake perfect yeah. Disney record label thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Britney, you know, in her generation struggled mightily with this and so many of them didn't make it out of it. I mean, essentially Justin and Britney and maybe Christina, although I would frankly argue that Christina had a hard time breaking out of it beyond stripped, didn't get out of that. Like weren't able to fully get out of that. And I, you just helped me have a revelation, which is that like what went on with Britney and then this album kind of being an extension of that kind of forced everybody to see her in that way yeah. and made people have to see her as a dynamic, complicated adult in a way that like, I don't think she could have just done if like all of that wasn't going on necessarily. No, she needed to. And it's funny because it's like looking back at, and even now it's like people have such a hard time specifically with Britney viewing her as like a fully well-rounded individual, like a, a full yeah. human person that has like a whole range yeah. of emotions and isn't yeah. just primed to be in like a Pepsi commercial all the time like she's like a, yeah. a yeah. adult grown woman i don't sure. think that at the time we were like ready for it but that was the point no like we needed right. to sort of be rattled and shaken out of this idea that she's just like this like sexy fembot who only exists to turn us on and i always mm-hmm. say that i think it really scared people when britney stopped being the kind of sexy that they felt was like manageable exactly The idea that this woman who is supposed to be sexy in this very Lolita, you know, tongue-in-cheek, I'm a good girl, but I'm also a bad girl. Now she's had a kid. Now she has a child. It's all done. Like, she's never going to be sexy in that way. And she's going through some fucking shit. Yeah. I mean, she's going through some shit. I mean, we can't even divorce this record, A, from, like, the Give Me More video, which, like, totally dispensed with the sort of pop princess image. She's in the black hair. Mm -hmm. She's spinning around the stripper pole. It's kind of homemade looking. It's like a real reversal of the sort of super crystalline, highly produced version of her that we had seen in the past. And then, of course, the performance at the VMAs, which, like... Like, is incredibly iconic in its own way, but also, like, you know, almost Warholian way, like, ripped the veneer off of the pop princess in this way that I think was critical to her continued success. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really interesting. And it brings me to one of my questions, which is, how is this record perceived at the time? And how is it perceived now? Like, first, let's start with the first thing. How was this record received commercially and critically at the moment that it came out? So when this album came out, it was seen as a mess. Mess. Again, I think that even people who weren't fans of hers, I don't think that they understand when an artist is woven so deeply into the fabric of our culture, it's scary when that starts to unravel and it feels unsure or uncertain 
certain. Yeah. And right. with Britney, who was always a sure thing, it was always guaranteed that you'd have a great Britney performance. And Britney mm-hmm. was guaranteed to pump out some great pop music for our summers. Mm-hmm. And even though mm-hmm. we made fun of her and ridiculed her to the bone, she was a sure thing. Like, she was a sure yeah. thing for us. Mm-hmm. And when she mm-hmm. became an unsure thing, people responded to that fear with, like, anger. Mm-hmm. And like mm. rage, and they were mad mm. at her for changing what we had become so accustomed to. Like, what is a yeah. summer unless Britney Spears is releasing the song of the summer? We don't know. And like, right. now she's divorced and she's had sex with this gross guy and she had a baby. <laughs> you know, it was like everything, it was like too much for our tiny little brains to understand. And this album yeah. really got beaten up for that. You know, it's really sad. And also, Britney wasn't promoting this album right you know what i mean and it had leaked on the internet an album leaking on mine was like the craziest thing to be like i can just listen to it now like what but i'll never forget that night of when it did leak and Mm. everybody was like oh it's like really good i was instantaneously (laughs) like motherfucker and i was surprised because i was bought into the whole like britney's a mess thing i mean i was a perez hilton reader i was fully in the like this woman's career is over she doesn't have it together like there's no way this record is gonna be good yeah and i was intoxicated (laughs) the minute i heard it i was for all the reasons we've discussed and i think that it's cult status has also benefited her because that's what i would say is kind of the evolution is like slowly over time first it's the providence of the gaze but there is this feeling over time that this is some sort of masterpiece that has developed like how did that come to be like do you remember how the course of that developed like to the point where now it feels like shorthand to talk about this as like the masterwork of her career well i think that you're right i mean that is the work of the gaze i mean honestly like it's (laughs) we work hard we're demonic but we get it done Like, when we have a singular thought, we are so powerful. This really did, at the beginning, it did feel like, in the great way that so many pop stars do, like, felt like our little secret. You know what I mean? Like, it really did feel that way. That's exactly what it was. It felt like our little thing that we knew was incredible, and we knew why Mm -hmm. it was incredible. At the time, I never thought there would be a world where it was, like, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something, or, like, you know what I I didn't, there was no world where I thought that. I do remember hearing the girls, I remember hearing, like, Rihanna and different people be like, that's a great fucking record. Like, that's a great album. Madonna. Madonna, Kelly Clarkson. Mm -hmm. But over time, you did sort of hear the conversation become more normalized around this album and i think that it comes from the fact that people had such an intense personal relationship to britney's music just generally yeah like there was such an emotional attachment there that even during a time when we were trying to disown her or like yeah act like she was this like has been right she had already woven herself into our hearts like we all had a personal journey with this album and i feel like anybody who listens to this album now and remembers when it came out had a very intense emotional attachment to it when it was right new and over time it just became like a more normal thing to be able to be honest about it i think Uh (laughs) that's really what it is it is like coming (laughs) out i i also think its status as a less commercially successful album also benefited britney it lent her credibility sometimes having a true cult classic Mm. can be a boon to a pop star like it was just successful enough like give me more was a hit that it didn't feel like a full flop you know what i mean like in a commercial sense so it didn't like derail her career like the way that bionic did not that Mm -hmm. bionic is 
in any sort of way as good of a record as this is, but whatever. I get what you But mean, like, though. I do think that in a way, this record was one of the things that helped kick off Poptimism. Like, I mm-hmm. do think people realizing like, this is sneaky good. Like, this is- Sneaky and good, and yeah. And it's not a pop record that's particularly popular. Mm-hmm. And that opened the door for some people in the critical establishment and maybe outside of the Britney fan base to be like, oh, I'm, it's okay for me to like this. Like, yeah. this is good because it's not been super embraced by the mainstream teen pop consuming audience in the same way yeah. that her old material was. So in another sneaky way at the time, again, another way in which this record felt like a nader commercially for her or in her personal life. But I do think all of these elements have really benefited her in the long term. And then by the time Circus and Femme Fatale came out, I remember the critical discourse being way more forgiving to her yeah. in those times because there was, Poptimism had taken more of root. People were taking pop music seriously on its own terms. And yeah. I think Blackout was part of that. I think Blackout was a moment where people were like, an artist like Britney Spears can make a record that we should take seriously mm-hmm. as art. And you got Gaga moments after that being like, you need to take me fucking seriously. Yeah. And I genuinely don't believe both in an aesthetic sense and in a optimism sense that you have Poker Face, for instance, without Blackout. So many artists built on the sound of this record yeah. in terms of taking us to that sort of darker dance EDM territory that this album paved the way for. And it was a linchpin in optimism, which is something that we talk about so much on this podcast. And now is like one of the classic Poptimism albums. This is one yeah. of those albums that people that don't like pop music or whatever will be like, that's a good album. Like, yeah. this is when pop music is good. It's just utterly fascinating to think that that came out at this moment in her life, at this moment in her career. And look what came out of that. And th- talking about it with you now is one of the most excited I've ever been about the possibility of her potentially making new music again, where she gets yeah. to do something that she would want to do. Though I have two questions for you okay. to end, so to kind of wrap us up here. One is, what's your favorite song on this record? Heaven on Earth. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, you knew I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I, I know. I see your face. You at me when you it. Even the, the way that I, I paused, it, I'm just like, I'm going to yes. shock him right now. Uh-huh. Heaven on Earth. It's like, it's so experimental and weird and fun. I love video game needs. Like one of my favorite subcultures is like <laughs> video game Britney. And this song is really like leading that. I love an 80s synthy. Like if I could take one Britney song and wish that one day she would expand on it for a whole album, it would be Heaven on Earth. A Carly Rae Jepsen kind of like emotion, 80s mm. synthy thing. I love it. I love her almost like tender vocal on the yeah, on the it's song. so sweet. Like it's it's one of the least robotized vocal performances on the album. Yeah, and it's very Kylie too. I sometimes yes, but Kylie yeah. and Carly share a lot of DNA. So I so okay. Yeah fascinating (laughs) god what is mine there's so many that we haven't talked about that i love toy soldier oh doesn't toy soldier remind you of a missy song doesn't it sound like missy would have produced it oh a hundred i never thought of that but yes absolutely
Australia. Written by the great Sean Garrett. <laughs> yeah. Also, little known fact, T-Pain wrote Hot as Ice. Yes. Iconic. Yes. I need to hear that demo. <laughs> that demo's got to be out there. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's really hard for me to pick a favorite. I'm tempted to say Give Me More, which is very basic, but I do think Give Me More is maybe one of my top three Britney songs yeah. ever. I think underrated song, Ooh Ooh Baby. Oh, that's a moment. Ooh, baby. Oh, yeah. You're filling me up, you're filling me up, you're filling me up, you're filling me up with your love. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I don't know, God. I think I would have to go with Give Me More, Piece of Me, just because I think that there's such, like, feathers in the cap of her career. Totally. are, like, critical Britney songs in this particular way. And let me tell you, no Britney song goes up harder in the club in 2022 than Give Me More. No. Give Me More is it. And it'll always be that. That Britney song forever and ever. It, like, evokes adultness in us. Like, it makes you just want to be a sweaty... Yes, we want to be whores. Yeah. That is the whore anthem to and the whore anthems, like there, like please, like that launched yes. a thousand whores. One thousand. That was the ship that launched a thousand. My a thousand God, whores. like in a club or even any public space at a party. Yeah, it's yeah. like all hell. You know, it's about to break. You're just like for three minutes, yes. you are out of your mind. A hundred percent, and also like dangers riff at the end. There's so many like amazing yes. parts of that song. Yeah. Okay, and now the tougher question. Okay, you implied to me earlier that this isn't your number one Britney album, which I no. am sort of surprised about. Let's hear the ranking. I want to hear the ranking. Oh God, I'm scared to rank. All right, okay, Go. so okay, okay, my number. The girls want rankings. Oh girls God, want rankings. okay. My number one all-time favorite Britney album is In the Zone. I am one mm-hmm. of those girls. I really mm-hmm. love that Drew Barrymore phase of Britney's life where she's like, <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm free and I can like talk about cool like stuff and masturbation and my body. Yeah. And I just yeah. love it. She was in her fucking creative yeah. bag. Yeah. And in the Zone is really good. I agree with you. Like, I, I think In the Zone has also aged very well. Oh, so well. Like, showdown. I love the whole purring section, like quieter section, showdown, early yes. morning. Yes. Like, I love that the whole, like, section. hazy, the hazy, purry, waking up, hungover vibe of that album. Yes. That is a very defensible choice. Yes. I look at the full spectrum, like, the performances, yeah. the era, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. you know, the whole yeah. thing. So it was just, yeah. everything was great at that moment. Okay, so In the Zone's in the one, zone. then what's two? This isn't even two. Is that fucked up? What's two? It's Britney. Okay, another defensible choice. Yeah. Nothing but hits on that record. Nothing but hits. I like pop. I'm a pop yeah. girl. Yeah. And that album is fucking perfection. Yeah, Slave for You, Overprotected, Boys, yeah, like, Cinderella's. Yeah, I mean, That's where you that's take me. Like, anticipating. Anticipating. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Oh my god! Yeah, I def- I, I'm with you. I really think Britney is a great album. So good. Britney, definitely my favorite of the first three. Yes, her my favorite pop, pop, pop Britney. And then this would okay. be my third favorite for sure. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then I would go. <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> then I would probably go. Oops. Mm-hmm. I would then go. Baby. Wait, mm-hmm. no. See, I'm not. When, once we get past the third album, I'm, I get like crazy. I don't even know if I can keep going. You have to. Oh my God. I'm going to do it too. Okay. All right. And then I would go baby. We'll just say this isn't set in stone. This is just how Troy feels right now. I'm like dripping sweat. No one's carving this in a stone tablet. 
Okay. And then I think I would go Circus. I would then go Femme Fatale and Brittany Jean is always lost. And Glory is just not ranked. Hello, Glory. Oh my God. See, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm sorry, Louie. I can't. I'm backing out. You go. You do it. I can't do it. It's the hardest question I've ever been asked. I think I'm going to, I would go Blackout, number one, In the Zone, close, number two, Britney, number three, Femme Fatale, number four. I get that that album is controversial for Britney fans because she was like not in a great mental space when she made it, but <laughs> yeah. like nothing but bangers on Amazing. that on that album. Seal it with a kiss. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love Seal it with a kiss. Trip to your heart. Oh, fucking love that album. I'd probably go Oops 5, Circus 6, Glory 7, Britney G, and 8. I I'm, I don't care for Glory. I'm like one of the I'm one Did of the people that does there? not care for Glory. Oh, God. See, it's too hard. No, probably Baby, Glory, Britney G. Okay. You know what I love about revisiting Baby is like the vocal, the vocal moment. It's like Baby's tough for me because it has like some of the greatest pop songs of all time. And then it's got some like real filler. Or <laughs> like horrific filler. filler. It's got some horrific filler. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, I guess Email My Heart is some sort of classic, but... <laughs> right. I just, you have to re, have to re-listen and only pay attention to the fact that she's doing all her own background. The ad-libbing, the riffs, yeah. the runs, yeah. the grunts, the growls, the groans. It's sorry, what? there's no way that an album that contains sometimes Baby One More Time, You Drive Me Crazy in one record is not going to be better than either Glory or Britney. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, I'm also not a Glory girl. Oh, I. you know what, Troy? I've never respected or cared for you more. Like, as... As a Britney stan, to say that, you're brave. People that try to hold that album up, I'm like, you're desperate and it shows. I'm sorry. Like, Glory is fine. Yeah. That's the best thing that I could say about it. It's not bad, but it's like, not great. And there's some songs on it that I'm like, I really tilt my head. Private, name names? I'm going to say Private Show is one of the weirdest Britney songs. (laughs) And like, not in the way that I like. Like, she went full Minnie Mouse. I'm so honestly, Troy, like I'm looking at you with like hearts coming out of my eyes right now because you you deal with most Britney stands and they try to sell you on the trifecta being glory, blackout, and in the zone. And I can just be like Yes. These are fighting words that we're saying right now. That's just you wanting her to be okay, which I yeah. understand, but yeah. like no. no. Like that's not acceptable. Yeah. That's my final list. It's blackout in the zone, Britney, femme fatale, oops. Circus, Baby, Glory, Britney Jean. Yeah. And like Britney Jean is like not even on the list. Like I love that for everybody. Britney Jean is like... not canon. It's not canon. <laughs> it's so She's easy to just be like, and then Britney Jean. <laughs> I mean, come on. Britney Jean, I honestly think I've listened to and Toto like maybe twice. Same. Ooh, it's I don't even think Britney's ever heard it. Oh God, no. I don't think, I want her to name the song with Jamie Lynn. Don't even bring it up. I can't Nuh-uh. believe it exists. Although, although, perfume, amazing. Gorgeous. Thank you, Sia. Thank you. Hello. It's perfume. <laughs> I actually like Alien, too. But Yes, Alien is good, too. And Even those with little, the glitch. <laughs> and those are the only ones that I think Britney likes. Those are, that's like, it. the only two. Yeah. I need somebody to ask her point blank, name the songs on Britney Jean. Like, what are the, like, <laughs> name, like name the track listing. Like, what are the songs? I think that they talked about this in one of the documentaries, that, like, when she did the circus tour, she actually wanted that tour to be, like, deep cuts of just, mm-hmm. like, her albums. And I've always wondered, like, what that would have looked like, you know, when she made her set list. Her yeah, right. favorite deep cuts from each album. Like, that would be so interesting. All right, so let's send the podcast out on your favorite Britney 
deep cut. What's your favorite Britney deep cut? Of all time? Yeah. You know, I'm really gonna have to say, as crazy as this is, it's anticipating. That's not crazy. What do you mean? Anticipating is fucking heaven. Just based on the amount, like, the amount of joy that that song has brought me and how it makes me mm-hmm. feel when I turn it on and the mm-hmm. memories that I have attached to it, mm-hmm. I think I would have to say anticipating. It just makes my heart literally feel completely whole when I listen to it. I fucking love anticipating it's so good and i already talked about the the britney to janet to britney to janet <laughs> continuous circle yeah. and anticipating's in that circle too so yes. let's go out on anticipating never don't want to listen to it okay troy mckitty it's always a joy to talk to you same thank you so much for letting me do this this was like more for me than you i feel no <laughs> it's not true it was reciprocal, it was reciprocal. i love you in every way you are my perfect lover <laughs> Pull it to my bumper, need to jump, let it jump. Too bad Carrie Hilson couldn't pull out a successful career from this. Yeah.